into sinking sand. Your life is built upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the rock. And that's the only rock that counts. So the foundation of your faith is laid in Christ. But then on that foundation, you and I are building a superstructure of service. From the day that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior until the time that he calls you home to heaven with him, you are building on that superstructure. Now we notice here that Paul talks about two ways to build on it. You can build out of good materials. He mentioned those, things like gold and silver and precious stones. And those are the good things that you build your life out of. Or as a Christian, you may decide to build your superstructure, this building of your life, out of something else. You may choose to use shoddy materials and out of things that will not last. Well, you need to be aware of this. There is a judgment coming. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you're building. What you've done with your life, everything you've built in your life, it's going to be subjected to a fire And the fire is going to reveal what sort it is. If you were here for the sermon a couple of weeks ago, we talked about carnal Christians. We talked about two types of Christians, carnal Christians and and spiritual Christians. Well, a carnal Christian is one who's backslidden. That's a person who's bickering and fighting in their Christian life. They're lazy Christians. They're Christians who've decided that they're going to build their lives out of those shoddy materials. They yield themselves to the things of the flesh. And the Bible calls those things wood, hay, and stubble. Carnal Christians are people that you might not even recognize by looking at their life, that they're really Christians. Carnal Christians are are people that show no real evidence sometimes that they're even people of the Lord. It's sort of like that little, little boy who had an old mutt dog. And a fellow came up to him and asked him, what kind of dog is that? And he said, well, that's a police dog. And the man said, well, that doesn't look like a police dog to me. And he said, well, he's undercover. And that's the way a lot of of Christians are. You know, they're undercover Christians. You can't tell by looking at their life that they really know the Lord. Well, we're going to talk today about the kind of Christian life that you should be living so that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you'll have to be ashamed. There won't be any regret. Now, let's notice three things here, first of all, about the Christian's day in court. Number one, it will be a day of revelation. In other words, it will be a day to reveal everything that we've done. Now, look at verse number 13. He says, every man's work shall be made manifest. Then he says, it shall be revealed by fire. And we may wonder, why is he talking about fire here? Well, he's not talking about hell fire because there is no Christian who has to suffer hell fire. I just said that. When you've been saved, you never have to face that. But he's talking about something else, and we can gain a little bit of insight into what he means by looking in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we see a totally different picture of Jesus than what we see in the Gospels. Now, in the Gospel accounts, you remember, uh, very soon we're coming upon Christmas time. We see Jesus born as a baby. He grows up as as a perfect child. He enters into his ministry at 30 years old. And you remember that John the Baptist looked at him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But when we come to the book of Revelation, there's another picture of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John writes about him there. And he speaks about Jesus as having eyes as a flame of fire. Now, what the Bible is talking about here, there's coming a time when we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and the eyes of Christ like a blazing fire 
are going to burn this superstructure, and we're going to find out then what our superstructure, our life, has really been built out of, and what kind of building materials that we used. Well, what are some of the things that Jesus is going to judge us on? Well, first, we're going to be judged according to our attitudes and not necessarily our actions. According to attitudes and not actions. Now, some people, when you talk about these kinds of subjects, Christian people, they tense all up and they get really concerned about this. Well, well, just, just be calm for just a minute because when we look at people, the only thing that we can see are the actions. And God is actually the only one who can look into the heart and see exactly the motive for everything that you do. You may remember that one time God spoke to Samuel and he told him that he uh, wanted to appoint a new king for Israel. Saul was Israel's king and Saul was an evil man. He, He wasn't a consistent king. He was a bad king. And so one night God woke Samuel up and he said, I want you to anoint a new king for Israel. Well, he appointed him to a man by, or pointed him in the direction of a man towards Jesse. And he said, out of the sons of Jesse, I'm going to choose the man who will be the next king of Israel. So Samuel went to Jesse's house and he said, Jesse, I want you to bring out all of your sons before me because God is going to choose one of your sons to be the new king. Well, Jesse brought out his sons and and first he brought out his oldest son. That was a natural thing to do. So he brought out the oldest son, and his name was Eliab. And Eliab was really a a fine-looking physical specimen. He was a good-looking young man. I don't know, maybe he had a Fabio haircut and all that, and and he was really a a hunk. And, And Samuel thought, now, surely this is the one that God wants. But God said, now, Samuel, all that you can see is the outward man. You're looking on the outward appearance, and he says, I'm able to look at the heart. Well, next, Jesse brought out another son. His name was Abinadab. And Abinadab, another, another good-looking young man, perhaps a very studious young man. And yet God says, this is not the one that I have chosen. He brought out another son. The next one he brought out was Shammah. Shammah, perhaps, was a very athletic young man, another good-looking physical specimen. And God says, I've not chosen this one either. And so one by one, Jesse brings out these sons until he brings out the seventh son. And and Samuel says, none of these are the ones that God has chosen. And then he said, do you have any other sons, Jesse? And he says, yes, I do have one more son, but you don't want him. He's he's the kind of the runt of the litter. He's out in the field somewhere keeping the sheep. We don't know exactly where he is right now. And Samuel said, Jesse, you send for him. Because we're not going to sit down and eat until I've spoken to that young man. And so they sent for David. I don't know how long it took them to find him. But they were getting impatient. They were waiting. They were getting hungry. Wanted to sit down. Every two or three minutes they were checking their sundials to see where he was. I mean, where is that guy? Well, finally David did come. And when he came in, the Bible described him as a ruddy young man. Freckled faced teenager. Red haired and... and, uh, he was just, uh, you know, wasn't very, wasn't the person that we would choose. I mean, certainly nothing that he could see there. And yet when Samuel saw him, he said, this is the one that God has chosen. And that was David. And did you know that David is the only person in the Bible where it said about him, he had a heart for God. Here's the thing. You see, you, you can hide your actions from me. And you can hide them from other people, or hide your attitude, I should say. And all that we can see is the actions. But God looks dead on into your heart. 
The real question for each of us as Christians is why are you serving the Lord? What is your heart doing? What is the motive for why you serve him? I mean, do you sing in the choir because nobody else will sing in the choir? And, and do you teach a Sunday school class because, you know, that, that's uh, expected of me to do that? Do you come on Wednesday nights because your position in the church dictates that you have to be here? Is that the reason why you do it? God is looking on the heart and he sees the actual motive for everything that you do. Why is it that you drop that tithe check into the offering plate every week? You know, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Here at Brian Baptist, we accept all the grumpy ones too, but God loves cheerful givers, and he's the only one who's actually able to look into your heart and see the motive for why you do that. Now, God sees the attitude, and you may be a person, you put that tithe check in the, in the offering plate every week, but every time that you do, you do it with regret. And you're thinking, man, what I couldn't do with all that extra money. Well, you may think that because you did the action that God will give you the reward. Not necessarily so, because God is able to look at your heart and able to see the real attitude in it. Well, how else will Christ judge us? Well, secondly, according to our availability and not our ability. And that ought to be a comforting uh, thing for every Christian because God's not going to judge us on what we can't do but he'll judge us according to what we will do with what he's given us and our willingness to do it. So God is not going to judge you according to how he's going to judge Billy Graham. God's not going to judge you like he judges Charles Stanley, and some of you watch him. Now, you know, he has more talent, he has more ability than you do, and so God's not going to judge you according to what he can do. God will judge you according to what he has given you and your willingness to use what God has given you. So it's not how much you have, It's according to what you do with what you have. This principle is illustrated by Jesus in in, uh, one day when he was watching people come and put their money into the temple treasury. As he was watching, there were big shots that would come along and, and they would take their coins and thrust them into the temple treasury box and the coins would rattle around and people were watching that and they wanted to see, see that, no, I've given my offering. Well, there was a widow woman a poor lady who came, and she put in two pennies into the temple treasury. Jesus and the disciples were watching that, and Jesus said, this woman has put in more money than all the rest of them. And the disciples said, well, well how could that be, Jesus? Here comes somebody along, and he puts $1,000 into the temple treasury, and this woman has just put in those two pennies. How can you say that she gave more? And Jesus said, well, she... Or he said, first of all, they have given out of their abundance, but she has given out of her poverty. And so he said, she has actually given more. You see, God's going to judge you according to how you use what you've been given. I remember several years ago when Pastor Cregan was the pastor of the church, and uh, somebody handed him a $1,000 check as they were going out the door. This person gave him the check, and... Pastor Cregan took the check a little bit later and he deposited it in the offering plate and he didn't say anything about it. Well, that person got very angry because they weren't recognized because they put that $1,000 into the offering plate. Well, I didn't know this and, and, and he knew this. I, I don't know it. I don't know today who puts money into the church. I have no idea how much money people give. But he told me that he knew that that person never gave anything in his offerings. 
Potentially that man was, was thousands of dollars behind in his tithes and offerings, but he wanted to be recognized because he put that $1,000 check into the offering plate. Now that might be the problem with some of our folks here. I mean, we have a budget shortage this year. Maybe it's because you haven't put in according to what God has given you. You, you haven't been given what you should. And God knows, folks. He knows exactly how much he's given you. And one day you're going to be judged in God's courtroom according to how faithful that you've been to give what God requires. Now, thirdly, God will judge us according to our aspirations, not just our accomplishments. You see, God is going to judge you on your desire to do what you do, not just on what you are able actually to accomplish. Another uh, good example we have is in the life of David on this. And uh, David had a great desire to build a temple for the Lord, his God. And David spent his life gathering the material build, uh, materials to build that temple, but God never actually allowed him to build it. Instead, Solomon, his son, was able to build it. Well, on the day that the temple was built, there was a great dedication, and Solomon made a great speech in which he gave tribute to David, his father. And he said, and it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto thy name, my name, thou didst well that it was in thy heart. So you see there, uh, David had a desire to build the temple, but he wasn't actually able to do it. Solomon did build the temple and Solomon was judged according to the temple that he built. But David had the desire, and the desire was no less significant than Solomon's accomplishment. God judged them on an equal basis. Now, the question for us today is, what is the desire of our hearts? Do we really have a desire to serve God? Now, all of us know that we should share our faith with other people. We should be a testimony and a witness to others. And there are some of you that you really do have a strong desire that you want to see people saved, and you do want to share your faith with other people. But there are others of you today that, if I were to ask you, and you were to be totally honest about it, do you have a desire to witness to people, you would have to say, well, no, I just really don't have the desire. I just really don't have any desire whatsoever. I don't really want to do that. Well, God actually knows your heart, and he knows whether you have the desire And so Christians are going to be judged according to their aspirations and not necessarily to all of their accomplishments. So a Christian's day in court is going to be a day of revealing. Well, secondly, it's going to be a day of reward. The Christian's day in court will be a day of reward. So why are you judged? So you can receive a reward for what you've done for God. Now, there are Christians who will say, you know, Pastor, um, um, I really don't care about that reward. If God will just give me just a, my little bitty cabin in the corner of glory land, that'll satisfy me and I'll be happy with that. I don't care so much about the reward. Well, you really miss the point of what the Bible talks about and means when it speaks of rewards. Because God really does have a desire to bless you. God has a desire that you serve him faithfully. And he also desires to reward you fruitfully for everything that you've done. So you ought to have as much desire to receive God's reward as God has to give it. God wants you to have it. 
Now he says here that everything that you do for me is gold and silver and precious stones. All those things that are in that category, they will receive a reward. Let's talk about what those things represent. First, they may be small, but they're valuable. There may be just small things that you do for the Lord, but those things are valuable. If I have a half dollar in my pocket, that's a piece of money and it has value to it. If I have a diamond in my pocket that's half the size of a half dollar, trust me, that would be very valuable. It's small, but it would be valuable. And, and this is what God is talking about. Sometimes it's not the greatest things that you think you do for God. It's the smallest, insignificant things that will receive that reward. And that's especially true if you do those things not to be seen and not to be applauded for doing them. Not long ago, there was uh, someone in the church that I heard that wanted to help someone by giving them some money. And they wanted to be very sure about this. They said, now, don't tell anybody where this money came from. I want to help somebody, but you don't tell them about it. Does everybody remember Frank Tharp? Frank died about eight months ago, and Frank was really a good Christian. There were times that Frank would come to me and he'd have one of those little pink envelopes and he'd have somebody's name written on it or he'd have benevolent fund written on it and he'd say, I just want to give this to help somebody but don't you dare tell anybody where this money came from. Well, Frank didn't have a whole lot compared to some of you but he gave out of his heart even though he didn't have much money to give. He never asked that anybody recognize him. There were times that I would mention him from the pulpit and I would say, you know, Frank is really a good man. Uh, We ought to honor him for the service that he gave to our country. I would say that from the pulpit and almost every time, I would say every time without fail as he went out the door, he'd say, I wish that you wouldn't do that. He said, I've always considered what I do simply my duty to be done. That's what God wants me to do. I don't need to be recognized for it. You know, I believe that there were rewards that were waiting for Frank. I saw the things that he did, and I thought they were great. And I think his Savior thought those things were great too. And I believe Frank received a reward for that. And he told me often, he said, you know, I wish that I knew when I was younger what I know now because I would have spent more time serving God and more time working in his church. Is that the way that you want to serve God? Just the insignificant insignificant things sometimes, things that, don't, that people don't see, those things are the most valuable. I don't believe that I'm going to receive a great reward for preaching this sermon this morning. You probably agree with that. Uh, but I don't think God's going to give me a great reward for this. This is the job that God gave me to do. I think that what he's talking about here are things that are totally unseen, mostly things that go undercover, things that nobody recognizes, You've done them secretly, and you've never done it so somebody would clap for you. Those things receive the greatest rewards. When Jesus was talking to those pious Pharisees, he said, those Pharisees, he said, you know, they like to sound a trumpet before them. They like to go in the synagogue, and they want the chief seats in the synagogue. They have to sit on the platform. They have to be recognized by men. And he said, they received their reward And their reward was what little bit of a recognition that they got here on earth from men. If you ever ask the question, what does it take to get recognition from God? Well, you don't really have to do anything huge to get God's attention. Here's something else about these rewards. They're made pure by fire. 
If you built your life out of gold and silver and precious stones, those things are not going to be burned up. When you put these precious things, these valuable things into the fire, what happens is all the bad that might be attached gets burned up, and then the gold really shines forth. What you do not to be seen of men and what you do for the glory of God, those are the right materials. Those things don't get burned up. They get shined up. You know, I love this scripture in the book of Job where where Job talks about this. Job was tried like probably no person ever before him. Maybe like nobody since except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Job went through a terrible time. He went through a fire. And when he did, his character and his true integrity shined forth. And Job said, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In the book of Revelation, there's a statement made about the works that we do for the Lord. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. I certainly do hope that you understand today that your good works, things that you do, do not precede your salvation. You don't do good works in order to get to heaven. Forget that idea altogether. When you become a Christian, you become a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ and the works follow. They come afterward. We're saved for good works, not because of our good works. And the Bible says that when you get to heaven, those good works will follow you. And so when you have your day in court, it will be happy or sad depending upon the way that you built this foundation. Well, there's one last thing that I want to tell you about the Christian's day in court. Thirdly, it may be a day of regret. It will be a day of revelation. It will be a day of reward. But it also may be a day of regret. Look at verses 14 and 15. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Verse 15 is speaking about wood, hay, and stubble. Those aren't valuable building materials. When you strike a match to those things, what happens? They go up in smoke. There are two things as we close today that will be burned up, or what these things represent. They represent our good works that we do to be seen. Anything that you do to be noticed and to be applauded for, you can write it down. It's wood, hay, and stubble. You know, sometimes we, uh, we clap for people like we did a moment ago after they sing a special. And I, I've always thought that that's really an awkward moment. I'm not really crazy about clapping because clapping can be a judgment of a person's performance. Now, this goes back to what I said earlier. You can't judge the motive of a person's heart. Someone might get up to sing, and the reason they do is because they want to hear you clap. I don't think we really have people in Brian Baptist Church who do that, but it happens a lot of times. But sometimes when people don't clap, I I will say this too. When you clap for people in our church, most of the time they're more embarrassed by that than anything. But but when you you clap for someone or don't clap, when you decide you're not going to clap, sometimes you have missed the very performance that God thought was the very best. And that's because God knew that person's heart. Anytime that you do something in the church that you do for personal gain, you do in your personal life that you want to receive applause for it, you can just write that down. It's wood, hay, and stubble. 
Well, then these works also represent a person who loses his reward, but not his salvation. There are lots of Christians who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the superstructure of their life is going to be completely burned up. But when God burns that up, he's not going to say, well, I'm sorry that this this structure that you built is all consumed, it's all burned up, so now you have to go to hell. He doesn't say that. What he says, you're going to be saved, yet so as by fire. And that's because the foundation is there. You can't lose it. You're going to be saved because the foundation is always there. I can just imagine what it's going to be like on that day that I have my time in court. When I'm able to go before the judgment seat of Christ, I can just imagine what that's going to be like. There's going to be this long line of people, and I'm going to come in carrying my huge superstructure of all the things that I've done in my life. I notice as I'm in the line there that David Morrow is right in front of me. And I say, David, where's all of your big superstructure of stuff that you've done in your life? Oh, sorry, your name tag covered it up. But you know something, David, it's not the quantity that counts, it's the quality of things. And I notice as we're getting a little bit closer to the front there and the fire's getting a little bit hotter as Jesus is looking to try our works, that I see that my superstructure is trying to heat up a little bit. And I see some wood, and I see a little bit of hay sticking out of that pile. And I realize, oh, you know, there's something a little bit wrong here. I've got this huge superstructure of all the things that I've done. And I look at David there, and I notice the things in his structure, in his building. Oh, it's small compared to mine. And I look at his, and I see David vacuuming this carpet up until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I see David's work of out there in the parking lot cleaning up after a flood. Or I see David's work of a leaf blower on his back as he goes blowing the parking lot. And suddenly I see that David's works are beginning to heat up, but they're beginning to shine. And I notice that my superstructure is not faring so well now. I've got my big bag. You know, have you ever, you know, this time of year, have you, le- have you, have you raked your leaves yet? You know what happens? You, you, you take those leaves, you get them all together, and you put them in those huge garbage bags. They are big. And you know, you come walking along with that big bag and everything. What a strong fellow that is. But it's all full of leaves. It doesn't have any weight. There's no substance to it. And what happens when you strike a match to dry leaves? They're burned up just like that. So I start to realize, and I begin to regret the things that I built, the superstructure of my life out of. I thought that they were big things. I thought they were great things. And they were things that I thought I deserved attention for because I did them, and they get burned up. And there's David with his, and they keep shining and keep shining and keep shining. Now, there's some people here in the auditorium today that you may be thinking this way. You're thinking, well, Pastor, I don't really care about that. I just want to get into heaven. I don't care about all that stuff you're talking about. I just want to make it into heaven. That's good enough for me if I can just get there. And so there are some of you that you will live your lives and you'll try to get in as much sin as you can and still probably try to be recognized as a Christian. You'll try to do what you can and you'll say, if I make it, that's enough for me. But it's not. I want you to think about it. Let's think about the analogy that Paul is using. He says, save like so as by fire. Now, what the picture is here is of a man who's in his home at night. 
And suddenly he begins to smell smoke. In just a few minutes, he noticed that there are flames that are licking up the walls. The building, his house, is beginning to burn. And so he doesn't have time to do anything. All he can do is get himself out of that fire. And so he rushes from the house. He has no time to get his wife. He has no time to get his children. All the mementos that he has there in his house and the things that were most precious and most valuable to him, he has no time to salvage any of it. And so he just gets out of the house, just barely saved from being consumed in that fire. So he turns around and looks. And he sees the house consumed and begins to fall. Everything that he had is all burned up. Do you think he's going to say then, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter? And this is the way it is with your Christian life. These works are going to be revealed by fire. And some of you, you didn't have time to do anything for God. You didn't have any time to deal with your wife or with your husband or with your children. You didn't have time to come to church. You didn't have time to work for the Lord. And when you get to that day, in the judgment day, you will be saved, yet so as by fire. All of it's going to be burned up. It's going to be completely gone. Do you think that you're going to say it doesn't matter? I don't think that you will. You know, the Bible teaches us, it says that there are no tears in heaven. We all agree with that, don't we? The Bible says there are no tears in heaven. But you know what the Bible does not say? It does not say there'll be no tears at the judgment seat. It doesn't say that. And I think for a lot of people, there's going to be regret and there will be sorrow because in their Christian lives, they didn't build that structure out of the gold, silver, and precious stones. So what will your day in court be like? I certainly hope that you're not going to stand at the great white throne judgment because if you're there, that's too late. You're headed for the fires of hell. But I also hope that if you are a Christian, that it won't be a day of regret for you. So it's a day of revealing, a day of reward, or a day of regret. And you need to consider today what it's going to be for you. If you're a Christian, the foundation is still there. You, you can't lose your salvation. The foundation will remain. But the question for you right now is what are you doing for Jesus Christ? Will your works remain? And will you receive the reward? Or is all of that going to be burned up and you suffer loss? All the rewards that you could have had if you'd served Christ. So what are you building today? It's going to be revealed by fire. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious words that we've read, what we've studied today. I ask that you would speak to Christians' hearts today and help us to understand, Lord, that one day you are going to reveal the works of our lives. And we don't want that to be a day of regret We truly desire the reward for serving you. Lord, I pray that you might speak to Christians' hearts and draw us closer to you. But then, Lord, also I pray for someone here today. They have not received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That person, if they die in that condition, they will spend eternity in the fires of hell. They'll stand before the great white throne judgment. And God will see all that they've done and will determine the punishment that they will receive. And that will be everlasting. Lord, I just pray that you might speak to some person's heart today. Help them to realize that they need to trust you as their personal Savior. Be with us in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.